0: This morning we are beginning a new ser- sermon series on the book of Proverbs. So if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter one, we're going to be looking at the preface of Proverbs today, verses one through seven, and you can find it on page five twenty seven in the Bibles provided there in the chairs. I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you. We refer to it often. You're going to be helped as you uh, seek to understand and and pour over the text as I talk about it. And as you're turning there, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, what does it mean to live well? What does it mean to live life to the fullest? And how do you go about doing that? These are the questions that have befuddled and perplexed mankind since Satan tempted Eve in the garden. Throughout the whole course of of mankind, even up to now, today is no different. And our culture will try to answer that question in many, many different ways. All sorts of answers of of ideas that they'll put forward uh, to constitute a good and a happy life. There is, of course, wealth. You've got to have money be happy. Success in business, in work, in education, beauty. You're successful if you're beautiful. There's casual, easy, comfortable living. No happy life, no truly happy life can be lived without travel, without good food, without entertainment, or having a beautiful and happy home. Living life to the fullest means having an active, gratifying sex life, having the best phone or the best computer or the best tablet or the best TV or the best car or the best you name it. It's being healthy. It's having lots of friends, maybe having a lot of pets, having lots of events to fill up your calendar every day. It's having the perfect mate, having the perfect wedding. And, of course, this is an absolute essential, having rock-hard abs. <laughs> right? You can't scan through the magazine rack at your local grocery store without realizing that the key, the ultimate key to happiness and the good life is having a six-pack. You know, I wonder what you would identify with. I wonder what you might add to that list. What does it mean for you to live well? What does it mean for you to live life to its fullest? And how do you go about doing that? You know, if there's one thing that is clear from the abundance of materials that are produced and consumed in our culture, it's that mankind is desperately seeking for what it means to live well. And we are striving to live life to its fullest. And that finds us grasping for anything and everything that might help us to do that. as we turn our attention to the book of Proverbs, know right up front that this is a book that God gave us so that we might understand what it truly means to live well. What it truly means to have success. living life to the fullest cannot be found apart from God. It cannot be found in the empty and vain pursuits of happiness that our culture puts forward apart from God, but by living according to the wisdom that he has given us so that we might know how to live rightly, to live well in this world. Friends, you must understand that this is the world that God has made. The one who has ordained And the one who now sustains your life, the very creator of the universe, made you and gave you this life so that you might come to know him, so that you might live life to its fullest according to the wisdom that he gives, a life that is lived in the fear of the Lord. We were made to know God. We were made to honor God. God. We were made to stand in awe of God. We were made to love God. There is no good life apart from that. In that we find joy. In that we find what it truly means to live well, living life to its fullness. And so as we look at this preface to the book of Proverbs here in chapter 1 verses 1 through 7... It is my hope and my prayer that we would understand that God gives wisdom so that his people might know and love him. God gives wisdom so that his people might know and love him. So let's turn our attention to the text, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. and instruction. God gives us wisdom so that we might know and love him. And so for us to understand this God-given wisdom, this wisdom that is held out before us, we need to understand the nature of wisdom, we need to understand the purposes of wisdom, and we need to understand the foundation for wisdom. So first, let's look at the nature of wisdom. Verse 1 begins The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is rightly identified as wisdom literature. The whole goal, the whole purpose, the reason why we have these books is because the author and ultimately God wanted to impart wisdom to us. He wanted us to understand. He wanted us to know. He wanted us to live rightly before God. Now when I talk about wisdom, I'm not talking about head smarts here. I'm not talking about skill in a very select, specific area of life. Wisdom is skill in godly living. It is ethical and it is active as well as intellectual. Wisdom is knowledge in action. Knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have received in order that you might live a more godly life. As one author put it, Wisdom is skill, expertise, and competence that understands how life really works, how to achieve successful, even beautiful results in ways that are intended to honor God. The book of Proverbs teaches us how to live skillfully in every area of life, including family, finances, friendship, speech, and work. The goal of wisdom is that you might achieve a life of beauty, a life of significance, so that at the end of your days, you will have accomplished something that is worthwhile and lasting. And this wisdom is communicated to us through a literary type called a proverb. Now, what is a proverb? Proverbs are short, direct memorable statements. In other words, they are pithy statements. My wife loves that word. You should use it in sentences when you talk to her. She, look at her scowling at me right now, yeah. <laughs> Short, direct, memorable statements. That's, why, that's how I'm gonna define that word pithy from here on out, so you just associate that, okay? That make general observations about life lived under the rule and blessing of God. They are concise statements, but they are very rich in meaning. That word proverb comes from the Hebrew verb that means to represent or to be like. And so when we read the Proverbs, it's like holding up a little model of reality to explore, a little verbal representation of some aspect of our daily lives and how that is meant to be lived under the rule and blessing of God. You see, it's important to point out that Proverbs are little different than other genres of Scripture. Most scriptures teach unassailable, eternal truths about God, man, and the world. And some proverbs do that. So, for example, if you were to flip over to Proverbs 16, verse 33, it says, The law is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. That proverb is about the sovereignty of God. It is unassailable and unquestionable. God is sovereign over every single decision of man. Or take, for example, Proverbs 17, 15 acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. The Lord detests them both. This one is about God's delight in justice and his hatred for injustice. And that never changes. God is always righteous. God is always just. And so some of the Proverbs are always true because they describe eternal truth about God and the hardwired workings of his universe. But most of the Proverbs are a little different. Still inspired by God, still profitable, immediately relevant, and applicable to us. They are unique in that most of them are not absolute rules that govern the universe, and nor are they guarantees in this life. You cannot read most of the Proverbs as promises, you read them as maxims. Proverbs are general principles and observations. That can be drawn from wise understanding of the created order by those who fear the Lord. That's a good working definition of what Proverbs are. Proverbs are general principles and observations that can be drawn from wise understanding of the created order by those who fear the Lord. Take, for example, Proverbs 26, 27. It says, if a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. And if a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. Now, does this proverb mean that everyone who has ever dug a pit or anyone who has ever rolled a stone has been killed by it, right? They've fallen into the pit. They've, they've been crushed by the stone. Well, no, absolutely not. I mean, I'm living proof of that. I have dug pits. I haven't rolled many stones, but I've rolled a few, and they haven't killed me. I'm still here. That's not what that proverb is trying to say. And that proverb is actually about deceit. Digging a pit so that someone might fall into the trap. Rolling a stone so that you can cheat somebody out of their land. That's what it's about. So it's about deceit and the ultimate consequences that they will face in their deception. All right? So that's an actually a, a really good example of general wise observations of the created order by those who fear the Lord. And most of the Proverbs fall into a similar pattern. They are generally true rather than inviolable laws of the universe. Now, this is going to make more sense as we go along and we unpack more of these Proverbs as we encounter them. But for now, as you're reading through the Proverbs, here's some helpful guidelines for understanding and interpreting them. And I took this from Mark Devers' overview sermon of the book of Proverbs. He's got just, he just did one sermon on the book of Proverbs, just kind of give you the, the overall picture. It's a helpful resource for you to look at. But he, he has seven guidelines for understanding and interpreting these Proverbs. And I think they're really helpful. First of all, common sense is required. Okay? Common sense will tell you that every time you dig a pit, you will not fall into it. Common sense will tell you that if you ever roll a rock, it's not guaranteed that it's going to fall back on you. Okay? If you don't apply common sense, you're going to be afraid to dig pits or roll rocks, even though you don't have much cause for that today. Right? Second... Proverbs are always ultimately true. Again, the issue in that proverb is deceit and the consequences for the deceiver. And that's always true. God sees every thought and intention of the heart and he will judge accordingly. You will not get away with your deception. You will ultimately fall in. You will ultimately be crushed. Right? Third, they are normally true now. Some people are able to get away with deception their entire lives. I just They're able to deceive and deceive and deceive and deceive. But most are not. Most of us get caught in our deception, don't we? Most of us face the consequences when we seek to deceive others. They are normally true now. Fourth, they employ poetic imagery. And so, again, this proverb is not about pits and it's not about stones. It's about deceit. And so it's using poetic imagery to describe what this deceptive person is doing, right? Uh, number five, they are partial in themselves, right? The Proverbs are one-liners, right? You just got, they got, you got two parallel phrases and that's it. That's not an exhaustive treatise on deception and its consequences. They're partial in themselves. Six, they are sometimes obscure. Anyone here? Read through Proverbs chapter 26, came to verse 27, scratched your head a little bit and just moved on with life. Not planning on digging a pit, don't know what that means, I'm moving on. Right? They're obscure. But seventh, as a whole, the Proverbs are religious. They were intended by the author for our faithful worship to God in every aspect of our lives. You can't put these Proverbs just on the level of practical. Like it's a good idea, it's wise for you to go ahead and tie your shoes before you leave the house in the morning because you might fall down in the mud. Right? That's wisdom, but that's not the kind of wisdom it's talking about here. This is wisdom that helps you to reflect the nature of God, to live rightly before him. So this is wisdom from God given to us by way of general, wise observations of the created order by those who fear the Lord. They were given so that we might think rightly and so that we might live rightly under God's rule and God's blessing. Now, in in these wisdom sayings, these proverbs were given to us by very wise men. Verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then what we get after that is nine chapters of Solomon explaining why wisdom is so important to us. He pleads with us. He implores us. Get wisdom. Do everything that you can. It's more precious than gold and silver. It will not fail you in any way. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. And he even gives us a hermeneutic, a means of understanding and interpreting and applying these proverbs to our lives. But then we finally come to chapter one, or sorry, chapter 10, verse 1, before we actually arrive at the Proverbs of Solomon proper, these one-liners. All right? Now, you will be pleased to know that I'm not going to preach through each one of these single parallelisms as we go from chapters 10 through 31. Okay? I'm going to preach expositionally through the first nine chapters, and then I'll deal with major themes after that so we get a picture of what Proverbs is telling us. I want us to understand how to think and how to apply Proverbs. I want, to, I want us to have a, a breadth of knowledge about what they're talking about and how they apply to our lives. But if I were to deal with every single one of these Proverbs, we would be here forever. Forever, right? Uh, <laughs> couldn't help it. Uh, I mean, chapter 10 alone would be 32 sermons. We would be here until we died. So, I'm not gonna do that. So, these proverbs were written by Solomon, but Solomon was not the only one to write these proverbs. If you look at chapter 22, verse 17, we have the words of the wise. Chapter 24, verse 23, we have more sayings of the wise. Now, we don't know who these people are, we just know that they're wise. Chapter 25, verse 1, there are more Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Hezekiah was a great, 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 great grandson. And so, uh, you know, that clearly they're collecting these things, but, but they were added much later. And then in chapters 30 and 31, you've got these appendices. You've got the words of Agur, the son of Jaca. You've got the words of King Lemuel. And then you have this alphabet of womanly excellence to kind of round this whole thing out. Um, these are the words of very wise men. These are the words of kings. These are the words of sages, and we would do well. We would be wise to listen to them, to humble ourselves and to be teachable, to sit at their feet and learn from their knowledge. It's also pretty important to add that many of these Proverbs were directed to my son. You see this come up over and over again. My son, my son, my son. Right there in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And so when we read through these Proverbs, think about the image of a father and a mother imparting wisdom to their children. Think about an old king who's wanting to instruct his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons how to honor God with the authority that they have been given. How to think, how to lead, how to judge wisely, how to live in righteousness, justice, and equity. Think about a noble king declaring to his citizens what it means to live well, what it means to live life to the fullest in his kingdom. That relational aspect of father to son or from wise king to his beloved people, it's going to help you as you read through the book of Proverbs, if you can keep that in mind. These are wise sayings of very wise men who care about you and desire for you to live wisely in God's world. But let's make no mistake. Though these Proverbs are from wise men, they are not only from a bunch of old dead dudes. They, this is not just wisdom or good ideas from men. We don't want to put these Proverbs on the level of it being wise for you to wear your seatbelt. There's more to it than that. This is a different kind of wisdom. This is wisdom that comes from God. The one true and living God, Yahweh, the God who created all there is, the God who sustains all there is, the God who allows you to take the very breath that you're taking right now and causing your heart to beat, the God who speaks to his creation, the God who reveals himself and interacts throughout the course of mankind. The God who delivers, the God who saves, the God who makes covenants with his chosen people is the God who here gives us wisdom so that we might know how to keep our end of the covenant, so that we might know how to live wisely in his world. This is not just wisdom from men, it is wisdom from God. Now, if you're not familiar with Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, Solomon was the greatest king on the earth during the time period, during his time period, roughly 10th century BC. And why was Solomon so great? What was so fantastic about Solomon? Well, it's because God had chosen him, God had promised him, and God had blessed him. If we were to take time to read 1 Kings chapters 1 through 4, or 1 Kings 1 through 11, to get the whole picture of Solomon's life, We would see how Solomon, the fourth son of David, God's beloved, was made king of God's covenant people, Israel. Solomon, at that time, loved the Lord and walked in his ways, but he knew that he was young. He knew that he was insufficient for the task of leading God's chosen people. And so Solomon prayed to God for wisdom. He said, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Well, God was so pleased with Solomon's prayer that God said, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. So basically, God is telling Solomon, you're going to be the wisest man ever. And we see that that's exactly how it's played out. He's so wise that people from all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. We see the story of the queen of Sheba coming to learn, to sit at Solomon's feet, to learn from him. But what is really, really clear, what we want to point out, what we want to keep in mind as we read these introductory words, the Proverbs of Solomon, is who gave Solomon his wisdom? God did. This is wisdom that comes from God. And as Solomon was faithful to God and he employed this God-given wisdom, he and his people, Israel, those who contend with God, lived according to Solomon's namesake. They lived in peace and holiness and well-being and prosperity, living life to the fullest. But when Solomon played the fool, he and the people... Went astray into idleness and into idolatry, into wickedness, into sin, into darkness, and into death. To choose this God given wisdom is to choose life, it's to choose peace, it's to choose well being. To ignore this wisdom or to reject this wisdom is death, hostility, and misery. You see, there are really only two ways set before us, there are not many ways. There's not a middle way. There's not a third way. Scripture presents that there are two ways and only two ways. And Proverbs is a perfect example of this. There's the way of wisdom and there's the way of folly. There's the way of light and there's the way of darkness. There is the way that brings life and prosperity and well-being and the the way that brings about misery. There's the way of God and there's the way of the world. There is the way of life and there's the way of death. And so we find ourselves alongside everyone who stood before Solomon, everyone who has ever read the wisdom of Solomon to make a choice to choose the way of wisdom Or the way of folly. But there is no other alternative. So the question becomes, which will you choose? What will you take up? What path will you head down? The way of wisdom or the path of fools? Now, as Christians, we need to read these Proverbs in light of the whole story of redemption. We need to read this wisdom in light of Christ. We read this not just as the words of wise King Solomon, but through the lens of Christ because Matthew chapter 12 reminds us that something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus Christ is the true son of David. He is the true long-awaited Messiah. He is the true king of Israel. He is the true king of all of those who contend with God. He is the true king of all God's people. He is, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very embodiment of God's wisdom. You want to know God's wisdom, you must know Christ. It says, God made him to be our wisdom from God and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so to choose the way of wisdom rather than the way of folly is to choose Christ. He is the true nature of wisdom. To choose wisdom is to choose Christ. There is no wisdom apart from him, not true wisdom, not lasting wisdom, not full wisdom. If we're going to truly understand the world that we've been made to live in, we must understand Christ. And so, friends, you are called to choose him. Choose the way of wisdom. He is the very nature of wisdom. God gives wisdom so that his people might know and love Him, and we've seen some of this nature of wisdom. Second, let's examine the purposes of wisdom. In verses two through six, we are told of the intended results of this God-given wisdom, the, the goal, the very purpose that this wisdom is meant to achieve, it says to know wisdom and in instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness. Justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, if we could just boil these verses down, the purposes of this God given wisdom, the reason why we have these proverbs is twofold. So that one, we can think rightly and two, so that we can live rightly. To think rightly and to live rightly. We need to know and understand and discern our world through the eyes, through the will of God. And that that means that it's what it means for us to, to think rightly. We have to think God's thoughts and to know God's will and his purposes in the world. We need to rightly think But not just to have right thoughts. We are to think rightly so that we might live rightly. And really the two of these are inseparable. You can't live rightly without thinking rightly. And wrong living is an indication of wrong thinking. We need them both. Wisdom, again, is not just intellectual skill. It is skill for godly living. It is every bit as much moral and practical as it is cerebral. And that's why the book of Proverbs, this wisdom literature that is set before us, is the single largest body of ethical teaching in all the scripture. Wisdom is right thinking and right living. And we need this wisdom. Why? Because we're not born wise. We're not born wise. And nor do we simply become wise with age. Just like you set us out on the stool, you let us sit there for long enough, we'll become wise. That's, that's not going to happen. Gray hair, wrinkles, long beards, it's no indication of wisdom. I mean, just look at ZZ Top. I mean, don't get fooled by Gandalf and Dumbledore. Think Radagast. i <laughs> got like two of you, but you thought it was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> uh, Now, the truth is, we are by nature simple. We are naive. We are ignorant. And quite honestly, we are lazy fools. We do not have knowledge and insight. We don't automatically know just what to do and how to do it in the best way possible so that we can please God. And we don't simply, that doesn't simply come with age. Does anybody know how to perfectly obey God and to live lives that are completely pleasing to him in all areas of life? You know exactly the will of God in every decision, so you just boom, 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 you can move on? Anybody? No, we're all living proof of that. We're not righteous and just. Our reason, our instincts, our feelings, they're not true. They're flawed. There are many things that we simply don't understand. And so left to ourselves, we would choose folly every time. We would take the natural path, the path of the world, the path of folly, the path that leads to sin and to wickedness, to misery and to death. And the reality is we've all done it. We've all gone down that path. We've all chosen what is foolish and found ourselves dead in our sin, enslaved by our sin, and justly and rightly and fairly condemned by God in our sin. That's who we all are apart from Christ, apart from wisdom. God offers and imparts wisdom to us, right? He gives us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, but We must take it up. We must put it on. It requires effort. It requires intention. It requires work. It requires labor. It's not going to be easy to learn this wisdom and to be conformed to it. And it's not just going to magically happen. Again, if I just sit and I grow old enough and I let my hair grow out long enough, I'm not going to become wiser. I'm not. I have to take it up, I have to study, I have to labor, and it requires humility to receive instruction. It's going to require change. It means giving up foolish and feeble pursuits of the passions of the flesh so that we might gain that, which is, far, excuse me, far, far better. It means knowing and loving God and living for him rather than for the desires of our body and our mind. There in verse 2, it says, To know wisdom and instruction. This requires discipline and it requires a willingness to be disciplined. This requires repentance and faith. It requires effort. When it says instruction, positionally, it's like that of a a parent instructing a child. To receive instruction means that positionally, you are the child. And if you find yourself unwilling to submit to the authorities that God has placed over you, if you're not willing to be corrected, if you're unwilling to sit and learn, you're too proud, then you cannot learn wisdom and instruction. You are unteachable, hard-hearted, a rebel to the will of God. To understand words of insight requires that you purposefully and regularly place yourself under the teaching of another. To learn from their wisdom and insight. You're sitting from, and learning from them because you don't have wisdom and insight. You're seeking to gain it. You gain it through means. The means that God gives us is the church. It means that he gives us is his word. And so that requires relationships. That requires a position of submission to one another. When you find somebody who's wise and insightful, how do they think about these situations and circumstances that they find themselves in? How do they discern the distinctions between what is right and what is wrong? How do they navigate uh, through them? How do they arrive at God-honoring conclusions? That's what it's talking about when it says wisdom and insight. It takes time. It takes deep thinking. It takes study. It takes observation takes work. Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Friends, this means being taught in such a way that we actually learn how to reflect the moral character of God in our everyday lives. We actually reflect God's righteousness. We reflect God's justice. We reflect God's equity. Whether we're at work or by ourselves... When we're at home with the kids, it doesn't matter. Every aspect of our lives, we're learning how to live morally, how to live rightly, how to reflect the character of God. And this passage tells us that God is holding out wisdom to us. But it is our responsibility to humble ourselves, to seek it, to strive for it, to take it up. It's not enough for you to just rely upon other people or expect other people to become your wisdom for you. They are here to help you and enable you. But friends, they are not ultimately responsible for being your wisdom. This happens within the life of the church where we're just like kind of dependent on everyone else making decisions for us or thinking for us or just i just need one more relationship that's going to help me if i just had a wiser man or a wiser woman in my life then that's all i really need to learn how to grow in wisdom no we have to take personal responsibility we need each other for that but we're to help one another not to do it for one another This calls us to learn how to think rightly about God and ourselves and this world so that we might navigate through this world in the midst of all the folly and futility that we see all around us without falling into it. This calls us to live rightly, to reflect the character and the purposes of God in the world. It is knowing God's thoughts. It's knowing God's will. It's knowing God's word and desiring and actively seeking to do his will from our hearts. So we must humble ourselves, take the position of a student eagerly desiring to know more of God. In verses four through six, we see that this wisdom is for everyone, right? There's never a point in your life where you just kind of arrive and you no longer need to grow in wisdom and learning, right? You can't think in terms of degrees. You can't think, oh, okay, if I just go through the right educational system, at the end I'll arrive and I will be perfect in wisdom and knowledge. No, we're always learning. We're always growing. This is for both the simple and for the wise, for the immature and inexperienced, for the youth, as well as the seasoned veteran who already understands so that they might obtain wisdom. God holds out this wisdom to give prudence to the simple or to the naive. These are people who on their own will fall for anything. They're open to everything, believing nothing. Now, our culture praises this kind of open-mindedness, but it is not good to be open-minded when it comes to evil and error. Therefore, God gives us prudence. And we hate that word, don't we, prudence? I think of prunes, right? I think of like the Victorian era. This is not something that I want to do. Prudence seems just old and stuffy, and wrinkled, right? But... Prudence is shrewdness or craftiness. It is the ability to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong, between truth and falsehood, so that we can carefully navigate through the challenges of our lives without falling into sin. So hopefully that makes us think a little bit different about prudence. We should long for this. The young, immature and inexperienced, they need knowledge and discretion. Knowledge, again, is intimacy. It's an intimate understanding. The way that a husband knows his wife and discretion so that he don't float aimlessly through life. God gives us wisdom so that we might have the ability to understand and to form plans so that important goals can be achieved, so that we can make the most of the lives that we've been given in order to honor God and seek the good of others. Well, that whole discretion is the ability to do that, to make these plans, these God-centered, gospel-centered, other-centered plans, and be able to navigate through that in ways that the live life well that understands our purpose and we seek to live life to the fullest under God's rule and blessing but these proverbs aren't merely for the young and immature those who are truly wise still need to remain teachable and increase in learning through continued disciplined study In verses 5 and 6, speak to these seasoned veterans. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Friends, do you realize that God's wisdom is unfathomable? We, We can't even begin to plumb the depths of God's wisdom. You can read through Proverbs a thousand times and still learn from it still and we need to because having spiritual wisdom today is not necessarily a guarantee that i will show and display spiritual wisdom tomorrow i need to constantly go back and remember to be reminded god's word gives us guidance no matter how mature we think we are for the everyday life so that we might know and understand his will for every single decision and so even as we grow in age and in wisdom, there's always more to learn, more insights of God to be gained. The truth that, that, truths that were once difficult and hard for us to understand become clear and we learn how to apply them to our lives. This is a good and glorious thing. And friends, this type of learning will continue on throughout eternity. We will never arrive at a perfect knowledge of God who is incomprehensible. We'll spend our lives seeking wisdom, Seeking knowledge. Seeking him. And so no matter who you are, whether you're a grandchild or a grandparent, there's still much to learn of God's wisdom. No matter the season or stage of life that you find yourself in, Proverbs will speak directly to your life. This is one of the greatest things. This is why Christians love Proverbs so much. It's because it's immediately applicable. If you're a child here and you're wondering, why on earth do I need to obey my parents? Well, Proverbs will tell you. If you're a parent seeking to discipline your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Proverbs gives you a lot of really sound advice on how to do that. Are you thinking about, need advice on how to think about money? Well, Proverbs answers that. Or how to pursue an honorable relationship with someone of the opposite sex. Do you need to make difficult decisions? Do you need help discerning who can be a good friend? Are you overwhelmed by emotions? Are you having trouble controlling your tongue? Do you find yourself just wasting a lot of time throughout the week? In these and in a thousand other ways, God gave us the wisdom of the Proverbs so that every one of us, no matter who we are, might think rightly and live rightly. Don't continue to live as a fool. Learn what it means to live wisely in God's world. Desire to live and think rightly. Just by way of practical encouragement, I'd encourage you to make it a goal to read through a chapter of Proverbs every day. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs, so that works out nicely when we think about the days and the month. So just Read the proverb that corresponds with the day's date. So today, go home and read Proverbs chapter seven and continue that pattern throughout the entirety of this series. As long as I'm preaching through Proverbs, you're reading a chapter a day. And by the time we finish, you'll have read through all of the Proverbs a number of times and you will be wiser for it. And not to mention, we'll be doing that together as a church if we adopt that strategy. But whatever strategy you You're looking for there. Make it a plan to get wisdom. Seek to think rightly and live rightly. God gave us this wisdom so that his people might know and love him. And we've talked a little bit about the nature of wisdom. We've talked a little bit about the purposes of wisdom. But third, verse 7 holds out the foundation for wisdom. Verse 7 really is the central theme or motto of the entire book of Proverbs. Similar statements are made 20 times throughout this book. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. My friends, God is the source of all wisdom, all truth, all knowledge. Everything there is to know and to understand. We cannot truly or fully know or be wise apart from him. If we really want to know, if we really want to understand, we have to start with God. Now, you may be brilliant in a particular area of knowledge, right? You might be the top researcher on molecular biology. You might be just a renowned astronomer who has spent your life understanding the vastness of the universe before us. But if you don't understand who the God who made them is, and the God who sustains them all, you haven't arrived. You haven't exhausted. You don't have a full knowledge and wisdom and understanding of whatever that is. We have to start with God. Now, I'm thankful for Ray Ortland for pointing this out. But this truth runs completely opposite to the dominant thinking of our modern age. Okay, we have been influenced by Rene Descartes. And in his discourse on method, this French philosopher, Rene Descartes, famously wrote, I think, therefore, I am. Uh, you, you have to understand, Descartes wanted certainty. He wanted to know what was truly real. And so he did what seemed most obvious. He started doubting everything. Can, can you be real? Can the air be real? Can that light be real? Can, you name it, can it be real? And he started from the outside and he whittled his way down through his doubt until he arrived at himself. And then he realized, I'm doubting, therefore I'm real. I think, I doubt, therefore I am. And so, what that then meant for him was that he began to rebuild reality outward from himself. You see what he did? He placed himself at the center of his universe, at the center of knowledge, at the center of wisdom, at the center of truth, and built outward from there. And, friends, this. Thought pattern has influenced our culture. I mean, for the last 400 years, Western culture has adopted that same mentality, that same purpose, that same line of thinking, trying to build our civilization, trying to build our knowledge base, trying to build our understanding, trying to build our personal lives out from ourselves. And we all know this. We've all fallen into this. I mean, Who do you think most about in your life? Who does everything revolve around in your life? You, right? And friends, that has utterly failed. Absolutizing our capacity for generating knowledge, understanding, morality, hope, Truth and certainty exposes us to self-deception because we are not the authority and the standard on truth and knowledge. None of us are. Together we aren't. God alone is that standard. All of us are dependent upon him, the autonomous self, cannot create certainty, much less beauty, but it certainly can be fooled. Every single one of us is living proof of that. Knowledge cannot start from within and work itself out because if that were the case, then you would be God. Knowledge starts with God. Fearing him is the beginning of our knowledge. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the one true and living God who creates and sustains all that there is. He is the God who's revealed himself to all of his creation. He is the source and standard of all truth and all knowledge and all morality and all wisdom. You understand that he is the standard. We measure perfection by God. We measure goodness by God. We measure righteousness by God. We measure beauty by God. Everything that we can possibly conceive as far as an abstract notion, we measure by God. And though by his grace he allows knowledge and truth and goodness and even brilliance to come to those who do not acknowledge him, full understanding, full knowledge, full wisdom is given only to those who fear him. To fear the Lord is to tremble at his power. To fear the Lord is is to stand silent and in awe of his greatness. To fear the Lord is to revere his holiness and his justice. It is to marvel at his glory. To fear the Lord means to wonder at his vastness, to respect him for his righteousness and his wisdom, to be amazed by his grace, to admire and to love him for his love and to honor him for his mercy. To fear the Lord is to know God and to love God and to worship God for all that he truly is, for all that he has revealed himself to be. Not just the parts that I like, not just the parts that I find preferable, or convenient or conducive for me but worship him for all that he is to praise him for all of his glorious grace. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but it is not a beginning that we move beyond. It is the foundation that we build everything else upon. Every bit of wisdom, every bit of knowledge, every bit of understanding built upon God. To attempt to build knowledge and understanding on myself or upon anything else other than God is foolishness. It is to despise wisdom and knowledge and instruction. And understanding. It hates truth. It rejects God. It refuses to submit to his authority. It shows contempt for God's ways. And ultimately it abhors God. For instance to choose the way of folly. Is to hate God. We need to understand that clearly. We need to know what we are doing. Now foolishness is not a mental defect. The solution is not just pouring more information into my brain, okay? It is not a low IQ. It is not a small mind. Foolishness is a moral deficiency. Foolishness is an attitude. It is a disposition. It is a thought pattern. It is a belief system. It is a repeated choice. Fools hate wisdom and instruction. They despise it. They refuse to acknowledge or submit to submit to God and His design for His people. Fools are proud and unteachable. Fools think that they are fine on their own. Fools are wise in their own eyes. Fools believe that they do not need God. Fools try to live as if this is their own little world and they are God. The very essence and nature of sin. Fools don't become wise by adding information into their heads. Fools become wise as they begin to fear the Lord. How can you come to acknowledge that there is one true and living God who created all there is apart from a fear of the Lord? How can you come to understand that you have rejected him that you have lived as a rebel to his will apart from a fear of the Lord? How can you come to the reality that your sin justly and rightly and fairly and gloriously deserves the eternal punishment of God apart from a fear of God? How can you behold the glory of the cross to marvel at his resurrection that brings new and eternal life apart from a fear of the Lord. How can you come to repent, to be sorry for your sin, to hate and reject it because it is displeasing to God apart from a fear of the Lord? Prince, why do you even pray apart from a fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a worshiping and an adoring submission to God. It recognizes who He is and who we truly are in light of Him. And it lives in the acknowledgement of just how much we need Jesus, the very embodiment of God's wisdom and instruction. But here's the thing, guys. We don't like that word fear. Fear. But the reality is we all live in the fear of something. We're all afraid of something. We've all made something ultimate in our lives. We all serve and live for and sacrifice for and give ourselves over to something, whether that's death or the fear of failure. We're all living to please something. Perhaps that's the fear of man. But anything that we place above God is fearing them over him. But when we come to understand who God is and what he has done for us, his perfect love for us and our love for him casts out all fear. He becomes the standard that we seek. seek to live by and so we fear him more than other things. Friends, Mark Dever is right here. It is foolishness to fear illness more than God, to fear poverty more than God, to fear hurting our career more than God, to fear rejection more than God, to fear loneliness more than God, to fear failure more than God. Ultimately, you will fear God or you will fear everything else. You will fear God and choose the way of wisdom or you will make other things more important than God and you will take the path of fools. Friends, do not take that path. It cannot give you what it promises. Seeking wisdom so that we might live in the fear of the Lord, so that we might truly know and love God, has to be the central concern of our lives. It has got to be the guiding principle. And so we need to ask the question, what is going to help me? What is going to benefit me and my family most to grow spiritually? What is going to help us to grow in the fear of the Lord? Is it this congregation well, then, friends, you're going to make it a priority to join, to partner, to participate in the fellow discipleship of this church. You're going to give yourself and invest yourself into it. When you're thinking about jobs in another location, you're going to not just assume that you'll be able to find a healthy church there. You're going to look carefully and diligently before you leap in. Is it sitting under the teaching of God's word? Friends, that's a have to, it's a must then I'm going to make it a priority to find a church that faithfully teaches and preaches the Word of God. And I will consider that as more important than loyalties I have to other people or other things. Because I know that I need it. I know that my family needs it. I'll make it a priority in my schedule. Try not to be gone so much. I'll arrange my vacation so I come back. So I'm here on Sunday when we gather together. I'm going to move things around so I can participate in those things that are going to help me to grow in wisdom and understanding. Things like foundations courses or community groups. Is beginning your day in the word and in prayer essential for you growing in the fear of the Lord? Friends, then you're going to get up early and make it a first priority, not assuming that you'll get to it at some point in the day. Is it a particular discipleship relationship that you have? Well, then... I'm going to intentionally invest myself in that person or in those people. I'm not just going to sit back as a leech or as a consumer and just take and take and take. I am going to invest. I am going to pour in. I am going to help. I am going to benefit them. Friends, if this, the fear of the Lord, is the organizing principle for our lives, then it has to be the organizing principle in our lives. It has to be. We must think carefully about what it means and how we apply this verse above all else, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. How do we display that? How do we live that out? How do we do that together as a church? You know, when we share the gospel with others, when we pray together, when we sing rich songs of the greatness of God, as we sit under the faithful teaching and preaching of God's word, when we sacrificially love one another, when we grow together in holiness and unity, we display the fear of the Lord. Other people see it. In ways that they could never see it if it was just me by myself. In these and in a thousand other ways. In which we as God's people put God first in our lives. We display to others the goodness. And the greatness. And the glory. And the awesomeness of our God. And we do it not just with our words. We do it with our lives. So my friends. Don't take the path of fools. Fear the Lord. Seek His wisdom. God gave us this wisdom so that we might know and love Him. Let's seek His wisdom then with all of our hearts. Let's pray together.